Good morning, everyone. It's a new year. Lots of new things going on. Any New Year's resolutions? I'm not going to ask you, because third day into it, you may have already messed up already, so we won't go there. Um, but some new things happening at Freedom Fellowship. We have purchased uh, the building at 4,373 Wade Hampton Boulevard in Taylor, South Carolina, and that is ours. Um, we will be meeting over there as soon as we get everything renovated, get the children's uh, rooms ready, and it looks like right now that uh, enough work's going to be done by this week that we'll be able to move over there. So what that means, we're looking at the 17th, not, th not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that. So get prepared. So next week, we want to at least have one week where it's ready, and then we come back here and say we're going over there. So that's the, that's the plan right now, unless something goes wrong uh, this week, that's what we're going to be able to come back here next week and say goodbye to Gurha. It's been great. Thank you for having us. It's been nice and wonderful, but we're going to our new home. So that's what we're looking forward to. A lot of new things going on in the new year, but some old things we need to get back to also. Not many of us carry this anymore, at least not in this form. So I'm not going to ask you to hold up your Bibles. I used to go to revival services, and the revival preacher would get up, hold up your Bibles, let me see everybody's got their Bible. I want to make sure. Well, most of you have one. Uh, it's on your cell phone or on your tablet. You've got it where you can carry it with you all the time now. So when you need a quick word, you don't have to go like this. You can pull it out, and it's there. So technology has been good for that and helped us have better access to it. But does that mean we're using it? So for 2016, I just want to start this year off encouraging us, because we have better access to it, that we make use of that access, that we really get into God's Word. This is, this is a love letter. And if you've ever received a love letter, you've probably read it over and over and over and over. And that's what we need to do for God's Word. When we hear, want to hear a word from God, we can come to this. And so our... Our series that we're going to be dealing with is going to be a walk through the Bible. But we're going to focus in on the first half, the Old Testament. Because that's an area I think most of us don't go into very often. We're familiar with the life of Jesus, the Gospels, the letters to the churches. We go there and we find some comforting words and we find some encouragement. But the Old Testament we're not so sure about. There's some... some history that we're not sure what's going on there, what God was doing, why he was saying those things. Then there's those prophets that they say a lot of things. We're not sure when they're saying them or why they're saying them or who they're saying them to. And then there's books like Leviticus and Numbers that just give a lot of, a lot of rules and regulations that we're not sure if they apply to us or not. Uh, a lot of uh, names that we can't even pronounce. So we, we tend to stay away from that. But what I want to challenge you for the next few weeks is to to get in the Old Testament and see what's really there, because there are some, some jewels that you'll find in this book, especially in the Old Testament. A verse, two verses that I try to live by is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he'll make your path straight. That's out of the Old Testament. There are passages of scriptures that I know that you have, have memorized or used or gone to. When you think about your family and how important it is to serve the Lord, there's a passage in the scripture that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a story out of the Old Testament. And you can read how Joshua 
said that and why he said that and why he said it to the people. It's all out of the Old Testament. And Psalm 23, um, a favorite passage to go to when we need comfort. The Lord is my shepherd. That comes straight out of the Old Testament. And then there's another one that you may have used as a life verse. Other people you may have heard it quoted before. It's from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And as we start 2016, that's, that's what I want. I want to be able to start this year knowing that there's hope, that there's a future, that God has a plan for me and my family, for my church, for my community. For this, this year, I hope I can start it with that kind of hope. But I don't know what kind of year you're coming off of. might have been a rough year and you're saying goodbye, good riddance to 2015. If that's the case, this verse is for you especially. Because Jeremiah was a prophet to the, to the people of God during a time of captivity. When they are in slavery. But he says, I have a plan for you. The verse before that says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so out of that time of captivity and struggle, thinking that maybe God's not there, God says, yes, I am. And it's only for a certain time. Seventy years, there's a deadline to this. It will pass, and I'm coming, and I'll bring you back home. I hope that's what 2016 will be for you. That you can look back and say, I feel like I've been in captivity. It's been a long road in 2015, but I'm glad it's over. So for 2016, I'm looking for God to show me the plans he has for me. I want that hope. I want that future now. You can find that kind of information, that kind of inspiration, that kind of hope through reading stories from the Old Testament. I love stories. And the historical stories of the Old Testament sometimes make it confusing because we don't have the whole picture. And we just pick out things here and there. And we don't know how it all ties in. So what we're going to do is try to help you get the whole picture of the Old Testament and tie it in from beginning to end. So that you can see how it flows. So you can see how the stories really do tie into each other. We're going to see how, how things can apply to us and see how it came out for the Israelites and not just one specific story, but we see that it's tied to another and it continues to go on. So to help you do this, to help you get the big picture, there are 77 specific people, places, or events that happen throughout the Old Testament. 77 major ones that we're going to go over in our time together. Now that may seem like a lot, but you can actually, if you go from beginning to end of those 77 steps, it'll take you less than three minutes to go through the whole Old Testament. And I'm going to do it in such a way that you're not even going to have to need notes to take down, on, take down notes on these 77 steps. You're going to be able to go through this and go through the Old Testament and know the whole storyline simply from memory. You may think, Mark, I'm not good on memory. I can't memorize things. I don't know where you're going, but it's not me. I'm not, I'm not going there. But think about it. How many different phone numbers do you know? Well, not many. you got three, yeah. In more, we don't have to remember. we got them on our phone, right? So we don't have to memorize that. But you do know where you live, don't you? 
you know your dress, okay, you know who lives in your family, you know the names of those, names sometimes come hard for people, but you know the names that are closest to you, okay, well, let me try a little experiment, you take your hands together, and you just weave your fingers together like that, how about do that for me, how about put everything down, take your hands, just weave your fingers together, and then fold them like this, is anything coming back to memory? What is it? There's the church. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Say it with me. Open the door. See all the people. Now, how many of you practiced that at breakfast this morning? Anybody? No, you know it. It's in your mind. You, you did that, and you learned it like a child. You used hand signs, and you said that little phrase, and you got it down, and you could say it how many years ago? Now, maybe not everybody did that, but most of you in here, I saw that you could do that. And it's not because maybe you just never did that growing up, but we're going to go through some things today and the next few weeks that with hand signs are going to put it in our mind to remember these different things. So we'll get into that, but just know that I want your participation today and for every time through this that, that you'll, you'll follow through with what I do. Don't leave me up here alone, all right? But let me give you a little background to, to where we are going. If, uh, Bill, you put the next sign um, slide up there. This is a slide of Israel, the Middle East actually. You see Israel is there by the Mediterranean. This is the area of the Old Testament. And we're going to go through that and get a better feel of why that land is important. That's a specific place on the planet Earth and God prepared that place in a special way to bring about his plan for the whole world. And we'll see how that comes into play. Go to the next slide. Through this, we're going to look at different books of the Bible. We're going to focus in on the historical books, but there are a lot of other books of the, of the Old Testament that uh, don't have the storyline for them. But we'll try to learn them too, and, and what are the key words about them? What is this book all about? So here's a book in the Bible. It's represented by this picture here, and it's probably not a familiar one to you. That's why I pulled it out. It's one of the prophets, but... This little figure over here of an eye gives you an idea of this book. What is that man doing to that letter? He's hugging him. And what is the letter? I. So it's the book of Haggai. Does that sound familiar? It's the book of Haggai. Haggai. And that's one that we don't really know much about because we don't read it. It's a small book, small prophet. But what is the book of Haggai about? It's about the temple. You see the picture of the temple there. You want to know why the temple was so important to the people of Israel? Where can you find that information? It's in your Bible. You go to the book of Haggai and you'll learn about the temple. Let's go to the next one. One more of this. This book is a little more familiar. It's one of the largest, if not the largest, I think, of the uh, um, Old Testament. Other than Psalms, Psalms got 150 chapters, but this one is a prophet, and it's the letter I again, and what is he doing? So, I say ah, got it? I say ah, it's the book of I say ah. Now, these pictures are just to get it in your mind of, okay, what was the book? A book of I say ah, I say ah, and what did I see when I saw him saying that? Two guys, one guy is down on his knees complaining, the other is jumping and rejoicing. So the book of Isaiah deals with two different subjects, groans and glory. 
groans in glory. It tells about the groaning of the people of, of Israel, the struggles they went through, the tough times they were going to face. So that's the groans, but also the glory, the glory of the, the coming Messiah, the glory of the great shepherd, the coming of, of, of God's Son, all found in the book of Isaiah. So you want to know about the life and uh, the background of the people of God? Well, Isaiah talks about the groans in glory, okay? So there's two books now from the Old Testament you might not have known about. Now you know a little bit more about them. Let's go to the next one. And this is going to lay out how the Bible is set up. It's not just one book, and most of you probably know that. We call it the Bible. It is our book, but it's made up of two sections, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Um, for the Old Testament, it's made up of actually 39 books. Now, how can you remember that? Here's an easy way to remember that there are 39 books in the Old Testament. In the word old, how many letters are in the word old? Three. Good. You're smart this morning. You're alert. All right. Testament. Here's the tougher question. How many letters in Testament? Nine. Very quick. Good. So you shove three and nine together, you've got 39. So you'll just always be able to look at Old Testament. You'll know there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Well, it also works for the New Testament. In the New Testament, how many letters are in the word new? Three. All right, how many in the word testament? Nine. So we have three and nine again, but this is new. So we're going to use some new math with it. It's three times nine. Three times nine is what? Twenty-seven. How many books in the, in the New Testament? Twenty-seven. So we've got 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. For the whole Bible makes up 66 books. 66 individual books of the Bible, not 66 individual writers. Some wrote more than one, but, but some wrote, uh, like the Psalms, several people wrote the book of Psalms, so there were a lot more than that too. So, but actual books within the uh, Old Testament, 39 in the New Testament, 27 in the Bible, 66 total. All right, Just some basic information you got, get a better handle on what the Bible is. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> This structure, I know you can't read this too well, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to get the structure of those books within that. There's 66 books. There are different types of books. And I don't know what kind of favorite books you like to read. Some people like to read novels, some historical fiction. Some like to read self-help books. There are all kinds of different genres out there of books. And the same thing goes with the 66 books of the Bible. They're made up of different types of books. So there are three major sections. We've got history books poetry books, and prophecy books. Just a quick overview to get you a handle on this. It's amazing how symmetrical this has been made up. It kind of helps us get a handle on what, what the structure is. For the history books, there are five major historical books. They're the first five books of the Old Testament. Many people call them the Pentateuch. It just means five books. Penta, five, five books. Books of the law, books of Moses, people have called them. But they are the major history of the beginnings of the world and of the Jewish nation and of Christianity itself because all our roots go back to there too. Then the other historical, they couldn't come up with a good name for that. We've got Pentateuch and then other historical. There are 12 of those. Over on the prophecy side, you see there are five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then there are 12 minor prophets. It bounces out. We've got five major historical books, five major prophets. We've got 12 other historical, 12 of the minor prophets. Now, major and minor, can anybody tell me why 
the major prophets are called major prophets. Because they're more important? No. Are the minor ones called minor because they're smaller? Not shorter, but smaller books. They are smaller books than the others. The only reason that they're called major is because they're larger books. If you look at those books, those uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations is a book that Jeremiah wrote that kind of go together. It's not as long as the other, but they put that with it. And Ezekiel and Daniel are, are longer books, and that's the reason they get called major. So we have those five major prophets. The shorter ones are called minor prophets. Still just important, still great messages within each one of those. Then you see there in the middle, poetry. Poetry books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those are poetry books. And, but it's also called the wisdom literature. There's a lot of wisdom in those books. So if you want to find out about that, that's a good place to go to find some true wisdom in those books. Just to outline the structure of the Old Testament, no test on that, okay? Just wanted to give that to you as a background. Now, let's move a little, for, a little further forward. What we're going to do is take the first 11 chapters of Genesis and we're going to memorize those here this morning. 11 chapters, you got it? Well, we're going to start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So if you would, I want everybody just to put your hands out in front of you. All right, take a look in your hands. What have you got? Maybe little calluses, maybe, I don't know. Nothing, nothing. There's nothing in your hands, right? When God looked out on nothing, that's where he created it all. Out of nothingness. Another word is chaos. Out of the chaos, he created it. Sometimes we feel like we're in chaos. But out of the chaos, God created order. He took nothing. He took his hands and created nothing. So our first key word, our first step in the walk through the Old Testament is the word creation. So say that with me. Creation. Let's say it again. Creation. Now that's probably probably easy to remember because that's where it starts. We've got to start. We've got to create it before we ever go forward. So that's going to be an easy one. Creation. But we're also going to tie a hand sign into that to help us memorize it. So now put your hands back out there with nothing God created everything. So we're going to say the word creation and then do the hand sign to do that. Watch me. It's creation. All right, let's do that together. Creation. All right, some of you did creation. <laughs> okay. Or even just, a, okay, creation. I'll do it with you. Well, how big is your God? How big a world did he create? How big can we get it? He created everything, not just the little things, but he created it all. So, And it's good exercise. You won't have to go to calisthenics this week. We'll do it all in here, all right? So everybody start again. Still here. We've got nothing in our hands, and the first word is creation. Very good. Some of you already know the second hand sign. I can't believe it. You've been through this before, haven't you? When your hands are up here, what do you want to do? You just want to drop them, right? That's our second hand sign. After God created everything... He created a special garden, and in the garden, he put fruit trees and, and animals and everything that was good for, for man to enjoy. And he put Adam and Eve in that garden, and he told them, all of this is yours, everything around, just enjoy it. There is a tree in the center of the garden that I don't want you to touch, because if you touch that, you eat of the fruit of that tree, you surely will die. Stay away from that one, but you got all the rest to enjoy. 
seems pretty easy. Prem's, I would, wouldn't you like that deal? I get everything except that one thing. I would take that deal. But there's something within all of us. I don't know. When I think back when I was a little boy, that's when I, I really think that's, I can see why it didn't work for Adam and Eve. Something about me when I was a little boy, I just loved to push buttons. Things you probably weren't supposed to touch or turn or just push. I see a button, I'd want to do it. My family was visiting my grandmother, who happened to be in a nursing home. She was a nursing home that uh, had two, two beds in it, supposed to have two uh, people, but uh, she was the only one in it, and we were all in here on her side. And as a young boy, I got kind of tired of being over there, so I just started roaming around and looking for things to do. And there was this cord that had this big red button on the end of it. <laughs> and what would I do? Come on over and push that button. Nothing happened. Push that button, push that button, nothing happened. Next thing I know, people come running in the room, rushing in, wondering what's going on, Who's, who needs help? What I didn't realize was that was pushing a help button over on the desk for the nurses, for them to come running down. I wasn't supposed to push the button. But something within us wants to push the button. Something within us says, when they tell us, stay away from that tree, we want to go to that tree. When the commandment is, thou shalt not, the pull and the urge is to go towards it. Something within us, it's called our sin nature. Thanks to Adam and Eve, it's been passed down from generation to generation. We all have it within us. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. You don't have to teach an adult how to be selfish. It's within us. And Adam and Eve... As good as they had it, and all the creation was theirs to enjoy, they went to that one tree, and as the devil entered the garden in the form of a serpent, he began to lie to them and make things twist them just a little bit. That's not what he really said, was it? And you won't surely die. Well, if God said it, you're going to. They didn't die immediately, but they did die. If they'd never taken that fruit, they would not have, but they did. So God's word was true. Satan just twisted a little bit, enough for them to, to be willing to go that route. And so they took of the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to. And we call that the fall. So that's what this is. When our hands are up here, we just simply drop them and say, fall. So let's put those two together. Get our first two steps of the Old Testament. Say it with me. Creation, fall, fall. Adam and Eve were the first ones to fall. But every one of us since then have. Adam and Eve left the garden, but they continued to, to live. And they multiplied and filled the earth. And pretty soon there were people all over the earth. But they had that same sin nature in them and continued to rebel against God. And in this rebellion, it got so bad that God said, I am sorry that I even created man. I'm going to start all over. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm going to take rain, floods, water, and just wash them all away and get started all over again. And so, God, God caused a great flood on the people. Washed them all away. All except one family. You remember the family there? Who was it that survived the flood? 
Noah. Noah. Made your motion picture in 2015 about Noah. So some of you may have seen that. Don't know that that I know it's not not all. It's, it wasn't true to the God's word, but there was a flood that came and wiped off, and only one family lived, and that was Noah and his family. So what we're going to do with that is we've just taken our hands to the fall. We've got them down here. And what the scripture say, says that the rains did come down, but the floods came up. This water within the earth, the springs begin to rise too, and the floodwaters rose. So that's going to be, instead of flood like this, the floodwaters come up. So we're going to just take our fingers and wiggle them like the r rippling water as they come up and say flood. Now, we're from the south, so the way we say it is flood. All right? So there's the first three hand signs. Let's put all those three together. Here we go. Creation, fall, flood. All right. So Noah and his family survived the flood. And now they are to go and to multiply and fill the earth. Just as God told Adam and Eve, the same command is for them and all people to take command, to take control. It's, it's the earth. I'm giving it to you. It's yours. And so Noah and his wife did that. By the way, does anybody know Noah's wife's name? Mrs. Noah? No, no, no. Joan. You remember Joan? Joan of Arc? No, okay. Well, just throw a little evidence. See if you're awake out there. Yes, good. Well, it wasn't Joan. I don't know her name. But Noah and his wife uh, and their three sons, they had wives, and they began to fill the earth. And it's uh, populated the earth all again. And God told them what the command was, was to fill the earth, to spread out, to go over the whole earth. But this family, as they continued to grow and got bigger and bigger, they stayed closer together. They stayed tightly together. They didn't spread out over the earth. In fact, they got to the point where they said, we really want to stay close together and make a name for ourselves and, and let's build a tower to God that will hold us. We'll know this is what's going to pull us. This will be our, our place to come back to. We'll build this tower, and, and this is, we'll make a name for ourselves. And this is where we will be together as a family, our whole nation, all together here. Now, that wasn't what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to spread out and to go over all the earth, and they're still in that one little territory uh, in, on the earth. And so as they're building this, this tower... Um, I don't know how far they got up, but they got up pretty tall, and here they are just, just carrying on with their tools and hammering and sawing away and, and just building, building, building. And then one of them, one of the builders, hollers down to say, Hey, Joe, send up some two-by-fours. Joe's down here, and he says, Como esta? <laughs> the guy says, Hey, Chuck, look at Joe down there. I think it's sunstroke got him or something. He goes... Oh, parlez-vous français? And they began to talk differently where they could not understand each other. God confounded their languages so that it could not communicate. If you've ever tried to communicate to someone who doesn't speak your language, you can know how frustrating it is to the point where you, there's nothing to do but kind of give up until you get a translator. And so that's what happened that all these different people began to talk in different languages. God confounded their languages so that as they could not communicate with this group, they began to, or to move to a different way. And so everybody that talked one way, walked one 
over one side and went, started moving their people to a different location. And then people talked a different way. They moved off to another way. And then the talk, people that talk like I do and draw things out and talk real slow, they walked south. And they went down there. And so they began to spread out. And people went. And what God wanted to happen, his plan for people to fill the earth, began to happen. And the nations were formed. The beginning of one nation into many nations. And so that is our fourth um, key word, nations. And the way we're going to do that, we just did our floods up this way. We're going to put our hands back to back. And it's like we're sticking them in an elevator door and pushing the elevator door open. And we'll say, nations. All right? So let's do that together. Hands back to back. We'll push them apart. And nations. That's the spreading of the nations throughout the earth. So let's put those four together. Here we go. You ready? Creation, fall, flood, nations. Now, I know when you do nations, you meet your neighbors over there, but that's all right. But that is the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And you've got it down right now. You could tell the story of the first 11 chapters. And you thought, how are we going to do that? And just in that short time, we've done that. So let's put that together. Everybody stand up. Stand up with me. And let's do these four together. And here we go. Everybody ready? Creation. Fall. Flood. Nations. Now, I heard some of you, but everybody say it out loud with me. Let's get this together, all right? Here we go. Creation. Fall. Flood. Nations. Good. Have a seat. You did good. You're doing great. I'm going to quickly go through some more just to give us a head start on next week. But uh, this calls for... um, some geography. Let's put the map back up there. This is the geography we're talking about, and it's so important because at this one location, three continents come together. Europe, Asia, and Africa all are touched by here. And if you follow that little path where Israel is, there by the Mediterranean, if you follow that, you could get to all three continents. So you can imagine how important this real estate is in the life of the people during this time. Even today, You know, many news stories come out of this section right here. A lot of focus is on this area because of the importance of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this map right here and just put it, pull it down off the screen and put it right underneath you so that where you are this morning, there are going to be um, places right underneath your feet. So we went through those um, first four steps. The next ones, we're going to do actual places on the map. Now this happened... A long time ago. And the time it happened, if this is the center of time when Christ came, approximately how many years before Christ did Abraham live? Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. Does anybody know about how long before Christ that Abraham came on the scene? Half of that. 2,000. 2,000 years to Christ... And then from Christ to where we live now is approximately 2,000. Okay, so we're going to look back in history 4,000 years. We're going to do a lot of different time periods during the seminar, but what we're going to do is for this one, it's going to be how long ago this happened. The others are time periods of how how long it happened, but this one is how long ago. But we're just going to say the number, 4,000 years. And that's when Abraham came on the scene, a very important character 
the father of the faithful, the father of the Jewish nation. So that's where we're going to, okay? So the way we're going to do time is we're going to make brackets with our hands. So if you just hold your hands up like this, like little princey brackets, you've seen time dates put in brackets, and we're going to stretch it out depending on how long it's going to be because we'll have different lengths throughout this time. This one is our longest one, and we're going to say 4,000 years. And just know when I say that, it's 4,000 years ago, okay? So let's do that one again. 4,000 years. 4,000 years ago, God looked down on the earth, and he began to say, I'm going to focus in on one group of people. Up till now, it's been the whole earth. I've been wanting to spread the nations. We've got that done. Now I want to focus in on one person, one family, and show you what I can do for that one family. This one family happens to be in a little town back here called Ur, all right? I've talked to Chip Patat earlier today, not to embarrass him as I've done some others in the time I've spoken, but Chip is going to be our location. So everybody needs to point to Chip. Wherever you are, you point to Chip. Chip, raise your hand, stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Chip, what you need to do is do this. Point to yourself. He is the town of Ur. Ur. You are no longer Chip, you are Ur. So when you address him, address him as Ur, you know how to spell Ur? You are. You are Ur. Good. Very good. All right. So keep standing. So the place that we're going to is Ur. All right. So Ur. So 4,000 years ago, God looked down in a little town called Ur. Not Gur, but Ur. <laughs> and just south of Ur is a body of water. See that body of water back there, all covered up there? That is going to be the Persian Gulf. So what we're going to do, a gulf has a little rim, so dip your finger in the Persian Gulf and just go Persian Gulf. Now we're pointing to a place on the map, so it's back there by Ur, Persian Gulf. When you dip your finger in the Persian Gulf and you put it to your mouth, what do you taste? Who said oil? Not oil, salt. Yeah, y'all are right. Salt, salt. Or you can have a seat now. Salt. Salt is going to be an acronym for the next four characters we're going to deal with. S-A-L-T. The first letters of four different people. And that's who God's looking down. They were living in Ur, down near the Persian Gulf. The first one, we're going to start with ladies. There's three men and one lady. We're going to start with ladies first. So the first is Sarah. And we'll just kind of point it out. Sarah. Anybody know who Sarah was? Abraham's wife. Father Faithful talked about that's where we're coming into the scene. God's looking down on Abraham, focusing on one family now, the family of Abraham. He married Sarah. And we do know that was her, her name. So it's Sarah was Abraham's wife. The A in salt stands for? Abraham. Who was Abraham? Sarah's husband. Right? You got that. All right. The L. L stands for Lot. Lot. Another character is important in this storyline. He was the nephew of Abraham and Sarah. And then T. T. He's the oldest one in our story here today. And it stands for Terah. Rhymes with Sarah. Begins with a T. It's Terah. So it's Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terah. Terah was the father of Abraham. Now during this time period, patriarchal system was the one that's in place and so the oldest father of the family was the one who's in charge and so Terah was in charge of this family. Terah very important character so let's do those four names again we put our finger to our lips and we taste 
Salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terah. This family was back there. What's the little town called? Ur. And it's near the... That's where they live, but God said, I've got another place for you. I've got a promised land for you. You know where the promised land is? Right here in all these empty seats. You are the lucky folks. You've chosen to be in the promised land. I know next week everybody will move to this section right over here. This is the promised land. We'll get to that a little bit later. But right now, they are down in Ur, and God says, I want you to move. Now, the thing about it is, God didn't tell Abraham where he's going to move. He just said, move. Take up your family and go. Now, think about this. Men, if you were married, and you turned to your wife and said, God has told us to move. And your wife would say, where? And you would say, I don't know. <laughs> How well would that go over? Uh, we talk about the faith of Abraham, and I guess the faith is that he wouldn't get killed if he took his family away. But faith, Sarah had to be strong too, to say, okay, I'm trusting you as the leader of our home, and I trust the God that we serve, and I'll go with you. But not just him, he had to go tell his father, because Terah is the patriarch, he's the head, and if he says, no, we're not, you're not going anywhere. But Terah understood the relationship that Abraham had with his God and said, okay, if that's what you think we need to be doing, we'll move our clan to wherever it is God wants us. That took so much faith for them to do that, all of them, all of them having parts in it. For us to have a church here in the Greer community and to say we're moving over to Wade Hampton Boulevard, we don't know what all that means. We have no clue what God's going to do for us. But we're going to do it in faith that God's moving us over there and we're going to see how he's going to put us in the promised land to bring good news to that community, to bring good news to more people who need to hear it. We're going to do it on faith as we move over there. But we're all moving together. So we're going to do it together. So they began to come up um, up this way. This is going to be north up this way. But when they're coming, they don't travel just across to the promised land where they need to go. That's the shortest distance. But all this area in here is barren land. So they need to travel where those rivers are. You see those two rivers? We've got the Tigris and Euphrates. So along this wall are going to be our two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. So we're going to do those two names of those rivers. We're going to just point to the wall and wiggle our fingers and say Tigris and then Euphrates. Tigris, Euphrates. Now the rivers flow towards the Persian Gulf, but we're coming. This is the way they're traveling. And they're going to stop right here in a little town called Haran. And this is where we're going to stop today, in a little town called Haran. Because something tragic happens here. As they travel up the Tigris and Euphrates River... They have to take stops along the way. It's a long journey till they get there. But here in the town of Haran, tragedy strikes Abraham's family. He's walking with God. He hears God calling him to move his family. His whole family gets behind him. He feels like he's walking in God's will. He's doing what God wants him to do. And in the middle of that, before they get to where they're going, before they find out what the promised land is all about, here in Haran, Abraham's father, Terah, dies. How can that happen? As faithful as he was to hear God's voice and to move, 
in doing what he felt like God wanted him to do and trying to convince his family that, yes, if you, this is what God wants us to do. We're better off if we do that than if we stay in Ur. Did they question why did we leave? If we stayed there, would Terah have died? Did they question, was it the journey that killed him? Why did we have to come out? Why did we leave? I don't know what kind of questions went on, but I know Abraham stayed faithful with the journey. But he had a major decision to make at that point. I told you the patriarchal system was in place right then. And now Abraham is the oldest father of that clan, and he becomes the patriarch. Was he going to take the leadership and lead his family on, or was he just going to fall apart there and think, I must have heard wrong, God wrong. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just wandering out here. Why did Terah die? I don't know. But as Terah dies, it calls for a, a choice. Is this tragedy going to define me? Or is it going to strengthen me? Is this tragedy going to hold me back? Or am I going to use it to help me go forward to fulfill the vision? I don't know what tragedy struck your life. I don't know what things have come into your life in 2015 or 2014. You still may be living the repercussions of it. But no matter that, God says, I have a plan for you. I have a hope and a future. I know that you feel like you're in captivity. I know you feel like it, but there's a 70-year time period on this. It will come to an end. It may seem like forever, but there is an end, and there are better things ahead, and there's a hope and a future I have for you, and I want you to experience it. Keep following me. Don't give up. Just because you become a Christian, just because you continue to follow Christ, doesn't mean that you become a Teflon person, that, that when tragedy comes, it just flow, flows right off of you. It doesn't. We, as Christians, still get hurt. We, as followers of Christ, still are confused. We still have tragedy strike us. Illnesses lost jobs, struggles that we face from day to day, we still have them. It's what we do and how we respond to it that makes the difference. What I've got to hold on to is my faith in God. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the vision of things yet to come. But sometimes I need something to hold on to. And that's why we have each other. And during these tough times, we need to hold on to each other. Sometimes I need to hear a word from God. And so I need to read his word. The Bible that he's left for me speaks to me today. And so I'm going to read it. So my challenge for you today, no matter what's going on in your life, I know you can find answers in God's word. I can't point you directly to it, but I believe he can do it for you. So I'm not going to ask you to make a New Year's resolution to read the Bible every day for this year. What I want to ask you to do and challenge you to do is to read the Bible seven days this week. Seven days. In fact, when I ask you next week, did you do it? Five out of seven is a win, okay? I want you to read seven days this week, but if you get five out of seven, that's a win. Just look into God's word and find that hope, that help, that future that we're looking for. He's going to give it to us. He wants it for us. Just as he looked down at a little town of Ur and found a family down there. And we're learning about the history of that family. That history is God's story, and that's why he put it in the Bible. 
And that story of God is also our story. That's where our faith began to. Let's hold on to that. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word, for history that we can go back to and hold on to. Thank you, Lord, that we have words that we could know that they come from you, and you'll give us guidance. As we read the stories and see how you worked with people, we know that you can work with us too. That's not just for them back during those days. It's for us today. As we read the wisdom literature and read the, the Psalms, read Proverbs, Lord, that gives us strength and comfort, and it gives us wisdom to walk each step. Lord, thank you for those words. Help us to find them and read them and live them out. And for the prophets, for the hope that they give us as we see what they prophesied actually happened, but they did it so many years before, it only has to come, we know it only had to come from you. Father, thank you for your word. For this week, these next seven days, help us to get into it, help us to read it, help us to believe it, help us to live it. Because that's where we'll find our hope and our future that you promise us. In Jesus' name.